Thank you for tuning in to the sermon webcast of Living Savior. We are one church serving in two locations, Asheville and Hendersonville, North Carolina. For more information, go to lsavior.org. It's one of the first words that you and every little toddler learn. You might think it's dad, or maybe mom, or maybe it's one of the millions of terms that have to do with like a a cute bottle or pacifier, also known as a nook or a nuchi or a baba or whatever it is that you called it in your family. It seems like every family has a different name for that little thing, I think commonly called a pacifier. Or maybe it's a special name for the bear or the blankie, or maybe a snack. No? Not that one. One of the first words that every single child learns is, (laughs) you got it, no. Even before they can talk, no. And it's no different. I mean, we don't usually like to make all that many comparisons between a little child and, and what we commonly call the fur babies, maybe the dog, but Dogs learn that word pretty early, too, compared to all of the other ones. Like, you, you just think of the scenario where the little child is, like, reaching up on the end table for that hot cup of coffee or that tall glass of water, or the, the dog is getting over there looking a little too interested in the garbage can, and you know what's coming next, and then you say no, and there's one of two things that happen. Either you learn really quickly how strong-willed and rebellious both are going to be as they go for it, Or they kind of like turn and shrink and then they listen. But at least they still, they know what you're saying. It's one of the things we know most commonly is no. In fact, so much so that we've probably been told no more than we've been told yes in our life. When you think of all of the interactions we've had with siblings and parents and everyone else, it's it's so common that even when you think about no, the, the interaction that you have with people, you kind of even know when it's coming. When, when you start to hear them say things, they're not saying no, they're not even shaking their head yet, but you can, you can almost like smell it, right? When you're talking with someone and they're going to tell you no. Which is probably one of the most difficult things for the believer, right? Because we so know what it means to be told no, that when we bring our big request to God, when we talk to him about the largest pain, when we have our biggest questions, our largest frustrations, when we even cry out with the psalmists who say here and there and almost everywhere, how long, O Lord, how long? And because we know that word so well, and we are so familiar with being told it, we we understand that so fully, we kind of pick up this idea that it seems like God is telling us no or he's about to. I mean, you think about the, the diagnosis, and then it seems like you're, you're waiting for something else, and the news is going to get worse. The, the relationship is unraveling, and then it's about to literally shatter into a million unmendable pieces. That if we would have been told in the middle of March that we would be at this phase right now in the middle of August, would we really be able to cope with it? And then who knows what September and the rest of it's going to look like? When, when you think about our fa- family members and loved ones and and, or the questions, the things that we wake up in the middle of the night and don't think about it, don't think, and now the brain turns on and we're lying sleeplessly, wondering, worrying, maybe even fearfully. How long? And then, based on what we know about his word, 
based on what we're seeing in the world, kind of seems like God is, if not telling us no, he's, he's getting ready to. Because we know so well what that is. What, what do you do when it seems like God is telling you no? Throughout this entire series, God has been enabling us to look at the words and works of Jesus and to be able to evaluate the way that the world commonly understands something like today, faith, and to compare that with the life and the faith that Christ calls us to. And today it's no different. As you and I encounter a woman approaching Jesus and Jesus responding to her in a way that we see almost nowhere else. I mean, sure, he's got crosswords for the Pharisees, but they have it coming. They're not asking for mercy. They're not asking for help. This woman cries out to him and Jesus seems cruel and cold-hearted and harsh. And it almost seems like he's saying no. But the Holy Spirit has prepared this lesson for us and inspired it and preserved it throughout the ages so that you and I would know what it means to have great faith, especially when it seems like, no matter what the reason is, God is telling you no. I invite you to have that lesson open, the gospel reading I just read from Matthew chapter 15. Jesus heads outside of Israel. This doesn't happen too far after the lessons that we heard last week. So they feed, two weeks ago, feeding of the 5,000, and then he walks on the water, and then he takes his disciples. This is a retreat of, of sorts, removing them from the hustle and bustle, the competition, and even the criticism of the Pharisees in the crowds. And they head north. So if you think of the Holy Land picture in your head, eastern shore of the Mediterranean Sea, you can picture the Red Sea and the Jordan River and the Sea of Galilee, and Jerusalem is down here a little to the west of the Red Sea, the northern part of it. And they go north of, of the Sea of Galilee in that region to Tyre and Sidon. Ancient Phoenicians would have been in this region, right along the shore. And we hear that there is this Canaanite woman. Now, walk through this a second. When you're talking to people who are dyed in the wool, lifetime Southerners, and they interact with somebody who's from New York or Michigan or Minnesota or Wisconsin, and they say, oh yeah, that's, that's the way Northerners think. Is that a compliment? Because you don't just associate, oh, they're Northerners, which means they're from the North, and that's all we're making is a spatial assessment. No, it's something else. Like, they think totally differently. There's a little bit of a jab along with that, and we understand that. When St. Matthew records by inspiration that this is a Canaanite woman, he's not just saying she's from this Canaanite region and it's a spatial thing and that's it. No, 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 no. Connected to this term Canaanite is not just the region, so to speak, where she's from, but also the paganness and not just the religion, but the irreligious aspects of her as well or her people. This Canaanite woman, you, she wouldn't even probably say it that way as a Jew. It'd probably be like a Canaanite woman cries out to Jesus. So of all people, this woman comes to Jesus. One of the last people you would ever speak in, or see speaking to Jesus, especially in the way that she does, and it's not just for her benefit that this interaction takes place, it is also for the disciples and also for you and me. How does she call out to Jesus? What does she say that is so unique? She calls him Lord, which you might think, well, there it is. Well, no, not necessarily Lord in this sense could mean sir. It could it'd be just a popular title that she would be assigning to somebody who was an owner or a, a, a master of sorts, but not if it's connected with what follows. Lord, son of David. During the reign of David, 
Like Canaanites, where you go all the way back to when, the, when Moses and the Israelites, they came out of Egypt and eventually came into the promised land under the leadership of Joshua, and they drove out the Canaanites. They were arch enemies for a while. So to call him son of David would be to admit that the promises that were made, that there was going to be a son greater than David, who is going to rule over God's people, that she's addressing Jesus in that way means that she knows very well what is said about the coming Savior from the Old Testament. There's something going on in this woman that is already identifying faith. She calls him Lord, Son of David, a title that only Jews would make of the Messiah when they properly understand and believe that Jesus is the Messiah. This is huge. And then she says, not just Lord, Son of David, she appeals to him on the basis of his mercy. That's what great faith does. And Jesus' response is, crickets. He says not a word. Really. So when God seems to say no, it can make you think that he's not going to say anything at all. Maybe he didn't hear you, or maybe he's just never going to say anything or treat the problem that you're presenting to him. You can call him by all of the right names, Lord Almighty, Heavenly Father, Savior, Sovereign Lord. You can, you can address him by the fact that he is the Lord over all things. You can even call him Son of David because you, according to your understanding of the Bible, know that he has kept every one of God's promises in the Old Testament. He is not just David's son, he is David's Lord. You can, you can appeal to him on the basis of his mercy, and then when you pray your biggest prayers and you present your biggest fears, when you even get on your knees and you grovel for anything that he would give you according to his grace, and it seems like all you're getting back is... seems like God is saying no, or at the very least, he's getting ready to. But you have to know that God hears you better than you understand. He's listening to your every word. Just because he doesn't write you a dear John letter right back doesn't mean he has deaf ears to you. Not, not a single one of your prayers to him are muted. In, in fact, Romans 8, read, read it sometime this week, it, it tells us that even when we're groaning and we can't even put words to our groans because we look in the world and we're just like, Wah. the Holy Spirit makes those intelligible petitions to our Father in heaven. He never takes a nap on you. Psalm 121, read, read it sometime this week. He neither slumbers nor sleeps. The requests that you can't even make when you are sleeping in addition to the ones that you make when you can't sleep, he hears you better than you even know. When it seems like God is saying no because of his silence, do not misunderstand that for his ignore, ignoring you, ignoring you, excuse me. And so what do the disciples say? She presents herself in quite an, a persistent way already, coming to Jesus the way that she does. And the disciples say, send her away. It seems sometimes like God is saying no, especially when the people closest to God 
are the most unhelpful. You probably are aware of this, that sometimes the people that are closest to God, namely believers in the church, sometimes don't help the way that they should. Sometimes the things that they say or the nonverbal things that they do tend to make you feel like God really doesn't care or have time to listen to you. Maybe it's a misunderstanding that somebody falsely shared with you. Maybe it's your own misunderstanding and you went to the wrong person to ask for advice. Or maybe it's because you're looking for, for answers in all of the wrong places in people predominantly. But what you have to know is she's not talking to the disciples. She's talking to Jesus. When it seems like God is saying, no, don't go to all of the wrong people in all of the wrong places because they're not Jesus. <laughs> They're not going to be the ones who can comfort you and help you when you need it the most. They're not going to be the ones to say all of the right things. I know this is going to shock some of you, but Christians are sinful, and they're still going to hurt at times, and they're going to say the wrong thing, and they're still going to mislead. You don't go to all the wrong things. This woman, she's, ta she's not talking to the disciples. She's talking to Jesus. Why are they saying, send, send her away? Best construction is, Jesus, give her something. Like, solve this real quick, and then send her away more realistically, they're just saying, Jesus, send her away. They, they know that they're in the wrong place. They're outnumbered. They're strangers in this different land. And now this one person, is, this, this woman is a, approaching him in this way. Send her away. How unfortunate. It doesn't mean that God is not listening. It certainly doesn't mean that God is saying no, even if it might appear that he is. And then Jesus says what to the disciples? I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. When it seems like God is saying no, Sometimes you might feel like you're a second-rate citizen outside the family believers. And probably nobody makes you feel that way more than you make you feel that way. You know your guilt better than anyone else and the sins that you've committed, and you fear that maybe your past is going to come back to haunt you and God might not want anything to do with you. You're not part of the elite, certainly not, not like some of the people that you might interact with at church or, or see on social media or whomever, but nothing could be farther from the truth. Do you know what it means that Jesus says what he says? Sent to the lost sheep of Israel? He is sent first to the lost sheep of Israel. But you can go all the way to when Jesus was a baby and Simeon finds him. God had told Simeon that Simeon wasn't going to die until he saw the Messiah face to face. And Simeon picks up the Savior Jesus in Jerusalem and he sings this song and he echoes what God had been echoing throughout history in the prophets in the Old Testament that the Israelites were to be a light for the Gentiles, because the Savior was supposed to be sent to Israel, through Israel, for not just Israel, but for all. He says, though, sent only to the lost sheep of Israel, because Jesus is waiting for not just the woman to respond, but also for his disciples to see how this plays out, too. It seems, it seems like God is saying no, because you might think that there's something wrong with you something inadequate about you. But actually, if Jesus is sent to Israel, that means that he is also sent to you and for you. So now what, how does the woman respond? She gets in front of Jesus, and the word here is like a word of worship. She bows down before him, and she pleads to him. When it seems like God is saying, no, that doesn't mean you give up. Faith, especially great faith, is persistent. And she says, Lord, please help me. And then the last thing you would expect is for Jesus to respond this way. He basically calls her a dog. 
Now, some people approach this, and it is the word for a little dog, and like, oh, he's calling her a lap dog, and that's a cool thing. No. There, first of all, there's no such thing as fur babies like some people have in their homes. Just as today, if you call a woman a little dog, a big dog, a medium-sized dog, a little to medium-sized dog, is any of that going to go over well? Even worse in Jesus' day. It is not fitting, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. In this picture language, Jesus is very clear. It's an insult. And you might think, well, this is terrible. It seems like not only is he saying no, but this is like the insult to injury, to that no. But it's not. Jesus is making very clear that he is God. And for all of the things that we can expect from God, of all the things we can expect is only whatever God says, which we'll get to in a little bit. But this is something to address, at least at the outset. We, especially in America, love our rights, the things that we deserve, the things that are owed to us. And so for us to consider for a second that God owes us nothing because God is God and we are not, maybe merits some further contemplation from us because she goes on to accept the fact that she is a dog and maybe she shouldn't be the only one. Notice she doesn't respond back, how dare you? I got a couple of words for you too. She doesn't. What does she say? She admits it. She basically says, yeah, you know what? You're right. You're right. What do I have? in and of myself, that has a right to the place at God's table. But do you know what she does? And this is where it is all going. You can pull that one verse out from Jesus and take it out of context, but what you miss entirely is where Jesus is leading this entire conversation. She not only acknowledges her position according to her unworthiness, but this is what faith does. In the face of what seems to be a no, and not only a no, but a hard no, faith points to all of the things that God has already said yes to. In the face of an apparent no, and an insulting one at that, faith looks at all of the things God has said because we know that God, according to his faithfulness, according to his promises, must say yes to those things. Even even if those things might seem to be measly crumbs. Yes, Lord. But even dogs get crumbs that fall from the table. So what are those crumbs? Maybe before you can even get to those crumbs, you can get to that plea. When you bow your head and you fold your hands, and you contemplate the prayers you are about to pray. Or maybe it looks different for you when you're driving to work in the morning or you're driving home. Or maybe it looks like just a a sigh of frustration, and you're not even sure what to say about the way that things are going and the way leaders are not leading and the way that schools are going to do whatever, and then you think about not just your family, you think about 
children with special needs and those that aren't going to get meals that they would normally get at school and you think about the single mom who's working three jobs and what's she going to do and you, you think about the people that are sick and the workers that put themselves in harm's way and, and all of the people that don't know, really know what's going to happen and the, the people that are stuck in nursing homes and they feel like they're in prison and it's not even a friendly one. Some of you haven't been able to even see some of your loved ones. Pastors aren't able to visit people in the hospital and pray before surgeries. Husbands aren't able to visit wives, and wives aren't able to be with husbands. Parents can even be with their children. And how many mothers have given birth in the hospital and the father couldn't be there? And you look at the world around you and you say with the psalmist, How long, O Lord? Seriously, like, give us something. When you look at all of the times you've been poked and prodded, you can't count how many blood cells or pints you've probably given in the last year or two, and the doctor's going to do this next round of tests, and then it's going to lead to who knows what else. And the last couple rabbit trails actually did lead to something. How long, oh Lord? Come on! Why? When you look at a relationship that's not just on the rocks, but it seems to be unraveling at the seams, you can't even recognize the seams anymore. Whether it's a marriage that is on the brink of divorce, or children and parents are at each other's throats, where, where friendship is probably the last term you would use with what you had with that one person because of the things that happened and the way they stabbed you in the back, or maybe the words that you used that you shouldn't have with them. And, and then you think to yourself, I've been praying about this, and all I'm looking for is a solution. But in God's word and in this world and the way that he's working, it doesn't seem to be, and you're just, and it seems like God is just saying no. He's just saying no to the mending of that friendship and the relationship in your family. He's, he's saying no to better health, and he's saying no to anything that is going to resemble anything that used to be normal, whatever that was, pre-pandemic. It seems like he's just saying no by everything that you and I can see and perceive with our senses, and even no by faith. We trust that God's going to take care of it, but at the same time, it seems like he's just saying no. Crickets pushback. Guilt makes us feel like second-rate citizens. And all the while, faith can, as Martin Luther said, can catch God. Not because of what seems to be no, but on the basis of where he has already said yes. What are those crumbs? Those crumbs end up being no crumbs at all. It is the bounty of God's forgiveness in the face of your greatest fears. The fact that this world is broken is not just seen in a pandemic or health struggles or relationships gone awry. It is seen in the fact that the fall into sin has been continually wreaking havoc in every single human being and in this world ever since. And God has paid for all of it. And it's finished. And to that over you, God says, yes. When it seems like your guilt and the way that you've been shunned or hurt, even from people in the church, and you see that so clearly about yourself more than anyone else can, and God reminds you that in your baptism, he put his name on you, so you are not a second-rate citizen. No, as we heard in our epistle reading, our New Testament reading from Ephesians, we are this, this dividing wall of hostility between us and God has been knocked down so that in Christ we are members of his family. No longer strangers. We are citizens of his kingdom. We have a place at the table and not as dogs, but as his dearly loved children. 
when you consider the way that God might respond to you. And you might even let that get to you, and you might not want to pray as much to him because you're afraid of what he might say, and you know he can say whatever he wants. You, you know that he is God, but at the same time, God points your eyes of faith to all the promises that he has not only made, but the promises that he has kept in Christ, that your sin cannot haunt you, that death has no say over you, it is but a blink, and eternal life is yours, so much so that he has already prepared a place for you. And to this, you can almost picture a stern, maybe even stone-cold face of Jesus that lights up with a smile and looks at this daughter of God and says, this is great faith. Not just because she's feisty, not just because she's persistent and that's it. Persistence pays off. No. It's because she points to all of the ways that God has already said yes. She, she knows very well. She understands what it is that God has promised. And even if that's just crumbs, she's content with that. And to that, God says, that is great faith. So the next time you're praying, which is going to be pretty soon, and then again tonight, before you go to bed, and then tomorrow morning, and then all through the day, and then tomorrow night, the, the next time you're worried and you're wondering, the next time it seems like God is just taking this giant double oak door and just closing it on you, the next time it seems like God is saying no, because of his silence or because of what people misspeak or because of the way you feel about yourself or because of some misunderstanding that you've allowed to fester, the next time it seems like God is saying no, great faith is found not just if you, but when you, with the faith that God has given you, point to all of the things that God has said yes about. And when you do, sure, you and I can say we're but dogs. But when the dogs get crumbs, they're no longer dogs in this sense. They're children who have a place at the Father's table, and my friends, that table is a banquet full of eternal blessings that are already yours. God grant us such great faith. Amen.